Let's talk about fasting for a moment, uh, a Daniel fast in specific. The first uh, verses I want us to read are from Ephesians chapter 6 uh, and verse number 10. What we understand about fasting, let me say this as we get ready to read these verses together. I want, to, I want you to follow along. This is the why we're doing a Daniel fast, why we pray and fast every year to begin the year. There are different ways to fast this year. We're looking at a Daniel fast. We'll read these verses in a moment. Pastor, why prayer and fasting? Well, at its heart, prayer and fasting is not a physical exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. It's not about dieting or losing weight. Those things probably will happen. That's not the goal at all. That's not the focus of this. It's understanding why God uh, directs us to pray and fast and what takes place when we do that, okay? So this is critically important. Let's be reminded about how the spiritual journey really works. Sometimes we forget this. So let's look. So what are, where are we looking as we begin this year, as we begin a Daniel fast tomorrow for 10 days? By the way, we, we, we will have a fresh video devotion every day on the website, calvaryassembly.org. And then in every night during these 10 nights at 6.30, I want to, I'll be coming, uh, available to you on our Facebook Live. We're, we're going to live stream every night at 6.30. We'll be praying together. We're, we're so diverse at Calvary. We're, we're, we live so many different places. We talked about as a staff getting together and having a prayer meeting every night. But I'm just, for about 10 minutes every night at 6.30, uh, during these 10 days, I'm going to be right there. Uh, so you can come, come live and, uh, we'll, I'll encourage you with a devotion. We'll pray together and just kind of give you a boost right there at the end of the day. So I'm looking forward to doing that. It's, it's going to be a very special time. So let's look at this thing. What are we doing? Finally, where's our strength? Be strong where? In the Lord. Okay. That's our strength. Uh, the problem with resolutions is that we try to do that by willpower and real change only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at this. This this is it. Finally be strong in the Lord and in what? His mighty power. So we need to understand how do we begin a year? How do we tap into that? How do we rise above our abilities? All right, so let's go to verse 11. We'll see. So what do we do? Put on the full armor of God. So we're, we're putting on God's strength so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. How many of you believe the devil just might have a scheme with your name on it? Anybody believe that could be true? He, he just might have a scheme with your name on it. So how will you respond? What, what do we do about that? How do we defeat the schemes of the devil? Let's go to this next verse. We see here, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So about six days into this Daniel fast, when you want a big piece of grandma's Pecan pie, as they say, north of the Mason-Dixon. And we, in Alabama, we say what? Pecan pie, see? Yeah. So remember, it's not a flesh and blood thing. But let's really be more specific than that. When we're dealing with these spiritual steps and growth, that person that broke your heart, they're really not the issue. That person that told you a lie, that's really not the issue. That person that betrayed your faith, that, that, that brought issues into your life that are painful... That's really not the problem because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, that's why fasting is so important. It's a spiritual exercise. It's a response to the real issues of your life. So if it's not against flesh and blood, then what is it? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces 
of evil, not in heaven, but in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual world. Those are demonic entities there. So the Bible says that our real fight is not a person. It's not personalities. What is it? It's principalities. Prayer and fasting brings us back to the real issue. And so it's interesting when you read this uh, verse in the original Greek language that the Holy Spirit recorded it in through the original authors. This is an interesting lineup. Uh, Authorities, powers, rulers, uh, forces are literally uh, terminology with a military connection. It would be, in, in English, it would kind of read like this. For uh, our, you know, where our struggle is not flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the privates, the sergeants, the lieutenants, the captains, and the generals of evil in the heavenly realms. It's an array, organized, of spiritual scheming against your life. So the Bible tells us that, that we can be strong in the Lord. We can bring his mighty power into our life. We can overcome the devil's schemes and his demonic forces as we are strong in the Lord. So prayer and fasting engages the real power of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. And and here's an account of Jesus fasting. And I want you to see the dynamic of what happens. Here's what you can expect. Jesus full, I want you to notice what says he is what? Full of the Holy Spirit. This is immediately after his baptism in water by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit coming on him to fill him for his public ministry. So he's full. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now what happens there? Where for 40 days, 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. He was praying. He was fasting. Satan was attacking the infancy, the genesis of his ministry, his first things. The devil always attacks you in the beginning. If he can stop it in the beginning, it doesn't grow and defeat him. So here's the plan. And so it says at the end of them, he was hungry. You think so? (laughs) After 40 days. Now, let's drop down to verse 14. Remember, he went into the season full. What do we read here? Did he lose? Did he go backwards? What happened? Even though Satan was tempting him, Jesus returned to Galilee where? In the power of the Spirit. And news about him is spread through the whole countryside. Listen, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, that means you have all you need. When you're in the power of the Holy Spirit, that means there's some left over for another person. See the difference of that? So literally, the anointing increased in his life. The tempting did not lessen him because of the fast and walking with God. He literally came out of that season with a greater presence of God in his life. Now, let's look at Daniel chapter 1. Daniel, as you know, this is where we get the Daniel fast. Daniel and, and uh, they say approximately 50,000 Jews were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar when, they, when he overthrew the nation of Israel and taken into captivity in Babylon. So this is where Daniel is. So what happens, Daniel did this there in Babylon, chosen to be trained by King Nebuchadnezzar to enter the king's service. This is what happened. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. This food had first been offered to demonic idols. It was part of their ritual worship and then brought to the king and those who were serving him. And Daniel says, I can't eat this because it violates my faith. It violates the word of God. And, and, and I'm going to trust God to take care of me. I'm not going to do this. So he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. This is why we have a Daniel fast. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, 
who has assigned your food and drink? Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of it. He was fearful they would look like they had lost weight and were suffering because of their commitment. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them better, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What did he say? Please test your servants for 10 days. We're beginning a 10-day fast tomorrow, a Daniel fast. What did they do? Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. So traditionally, a Daniel fast, again, we're off of meat, sweets, and, 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 and you know processed things, white bread, white rice, things of that nature. Why? Here's what a Daniel fast says. I resolve to serve the Lord. I refuse to let anything else be my uh, provision and provider. I believe if I put God first, I'm going to be better off than I would any other way. So watch this. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. This is a 10-day Daniel fast. What happens? So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Here's the good news about fasting. You will not die. We've never lost anybody fasting at Calvary, right? Actually, what looks like it goes against you naturally... God takes your spiritual victory and turns it into a physical victory in your life. Many people praying and fasting have received healing in areas they've not been able to be healed. There's great physical response to a spiritual act of obedience, okay? So, uh, let's go next. Next verse. All right. To these four young men, what happened? Because they spiritually obeyed God. Physically, they were blessed. Now watch them mentally. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Proverbs says wisdom and knowledge is greater than silver, gold, rubies, and diamonds. So mentally they were blessed. And then, look at this. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Spiritually he began to grow in his understanding of the things of God. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. Watch this. The king taught with him and he found none equal to Daniel. Come on, none equal. Are you ready? Are you ready to be the head and not the tail? Are you ready to rise above and not below? None equal to them. So they entered the king's service. Watch this. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. How on a ten, how many of you would like to have a ten multiplier on your life this year? Ten times. Ten times better. Ten times better. That'll get you a promotion. That'll get you noticed. Ten times better. Nobody equal, all right? So now, let, let's very, very quickly, uh, let me show you one other thing in Daniel. He did a second Daniel fast, all right? At that time, I, Daniel, mourned or fasted for three weeks, okay? I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. Daniel fast. I used no lotions. He did take a shower, though. Okay. At all until the three weeks were over. The Bible says nobody around you should know you're fasting. Don't go to work after Monday like this on Tuesday. I'm sorry. How's it going? I'm fasting. I can't. That's not why we're fasting, okay? So nobody knows. Nobody needs to know because we're strong in the Lord and His mighty power. You with me? Okay. So look, he, so an angel came to him. He'd been praying for 21 days. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. How many of you had to wait on an answer to prayer sometimes? 
How many are still waiting on one? I have some I'm still praying for. Well, good news is the first time you prayed, God heard you. Well, what's happening? There's a spiritual warfare that goes on around us that we don't see. And literally, watch this. He says, your words were heard and I've come in response. Next verse. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, what is that? That's not an earthly prince. That was a demonic spirit over that entire area. So when the angel was sent from God with the answer to the prayer, this demonic spirit battled him. He was in conflict, spiritual conflict. This isn't uh, Star Wars. It's not hocus pocus. This is reality. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, an archangel, came to help me. So here's this angel battling this demonic spirit for 21 days. Daniel's praying and fasting. He doesn't see what's going on, but he's praying and fasting. So God releases another angel, and he says, He came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So one more verse I have. I'm not sure if I put that up. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. When you begin to pray and fast, angels are sent to help, to minister. Spiritual forces that you're not aware of are defeated. Delayed prayers become answered. Ten times better things happen in your life. There's none equal to what you do. You begin to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You begin to have the power of the Holy Spirit operate in your life. Do you understand what the Bible says we pray and fast? These are the expectations you can have. So I wanted to share that with you. That's what we're beginning tomorrow. Maybe you've never fasted before. This is really a, a, a what would I say, an ease into fasting because it's not a total fast. There, there are a lot of things available. We even have menus on the website uh, and, and that you can follow and use. But, but the focus, don't sit around all day and think of your menu. I'm trying to go easy on you and let you have enough food. You don't have to worry. I want you to be praying. Listen, listen to me. If you're not praying... You're not fasting. You're just on a diet. I want to say it again. If you're not praying, you're not fasting. You're just on a diet. Right? So, so it's prayer and fasting. It's a biblical. I just shared with you. There are many other principles. I'll share more uh, in our devotions this next 10 days and in our evening prayer sessions. All right? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So let's go to Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33. The series I'm sharing with you this month is Seek First. Seek first. Let's look at Matthew 6, 33. Wow, I've got to really move along in this thing today. Uh, but I'm, I wanted to take time on the fast. I'm glad I did that. I want to help you know how to engage and connect. The website's there to help you. Uh, devotions are there. It's, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, we make life much more difficult than it should be. What should I do? What's first? What's priority? How do I order my life? How do I know where to go to college? How do I know who to marry? How do I know if I take this job or not? What do I do here? How do I raise my children? How do I become a better spouse? How do I do this? What do I do that? Where do I invest my money? How do I save money? What college? All these things. You know, those are big decisions. But they're not your first decision. You understand that? The Bible says there's an order that brings God into every situation. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Isn't it amazing the things we strive over, stress over, uh, worry over? The Bible says if we'll seek God first, he gives us those things. 
We must align our priorities. What a gift and what a blessing. Seek first as we begin this year. Now, let me ask you, uh, there's uh, Luke 5, 18. I want to, just to make sure you understand the word seek, what does that mean? Uh, I, I found another place in Scripture where this word is used. And it illustrates it beautifully. What does it mean to seek God? Well, seek means to reach for, to stretch for, to be diligent for, to pursue, to make your priority, to seek, to seek. So let's understand seek, and then we'll talk about first. In in this setting, many of you remember this account. It's in three of the Gospels where there was a lame man, and he had some great friends because he couldn't walk. But they cared so much about him, they said, we're going to get this man to Jesus. They had heard about the healings and the miracles. And and so they made a cot or some type of transportation. And they carried their friend to this home where Jesus was teaching. And they were so excited as they began on their journey. And they knew if we can get our friend into the presence of Jesus, he'll be healed. And so when they arrived at the house... There was such a crowd that had followed him and were pressing in with, with many people just like them who wanted to be healed, who, who wanted to hear what he was saying, who wanted to see Jesus, that when they arrived, there was such a crowd, they could not even get in the house where Jesus was teaching. And for many people, they would stop. Well, we tried. Sorry, bud. You know, we wanted to. We had good intentions. But they couldn't. But here in this verse... Let, let, let's go back to Luke. Let, let me see this, all right? So some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him. That's that same word, seek. They were seeking to take him. They were striving, reaching, desiring to seeking to take him into the house, to lay him before Jesus. And so let's think about that word seek. What does seek really mean? What a picture. So here they're carrying their friend. It's not for themselves. Look at the passion in their life. And they come to the front door and no one will move out of their way. Others had been there first and they were like, no, I'm waiting in line. I want to see Jesus. No, you move, you get back. You know, they couldn't get in. And so, you know, you could stop and say, well, I tried, but not these guys. So I guess they go around to the back door of the house. They say, come on, let's come in the back door. And there they were. They, 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 they couldn't get in. And so he said, well, let's, let's run around to the window and see if we can push him through the window. And he couldn't get through the window. People everywhere. But these guys were seeking to take him into the presence of God. How do we seek God? I'm, I'm giving you an illustration here. Same word, same connotation. So they looked at each other and said, we can't get in the front door. And we can't get in the back door. And we can't even climb through the window. What are we going to do? And one of those men had enough faith. He said, well, I'm not going home until he gets healed. And they said, well, what do you think we ought to do? I got an idea. You know, some of the best ideas everybody else thinks crazy. Are you hearing me? Do you know when you really start to seek God, you're going to get out of the crowd real fast? Because all of a sudden, the passion to seek God will make you creative. It will cause you to think and see what other people don't think and see. And so one of those guys had this crazy idea. He said, we can't get through the doors. We can't get through the windows. But he said, I think I can climb up on top of the house. And they said, what do you mean? Is there a skylight? No, he doesn't have a skylight, but you got a shovel? What do you mean? He said, we're going to tear a hole in the roof till we get this man in the presence of Jesus. I'm not leaving. I'm going to seek until I get what I find. The Bible says, if you ask, what? You shall receive. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, it's going to be open. It's kind of so. Put that in modern terminology. Let's say there's somebody who really needs to get in touch with Jesus. And you know there's an answer. And, and so maybe, you know, there, listen, listen can, I, can I help you out right now? 
There's always going to be a crowd around Jesus. And then inside the crowd, you're going to find the disciples. <laughs> did, you, did I help you just then? There's always going to be a crowd. There's always a crowd. There's always the curious. There's always the onlookers. There's always just a crowd. And you know what a crowd, watch this, crowds keep you from Jesus. Disciples get you to Jesus. So, so maybe you went to church and you needed some help, but, and you said, I, I'm seeking the Lord, but you got to the front door and a hypocrite was in your way. Huh? Do you know hypocrites go to church? Do you know they go to every church? Do you know that means there's something? Do you know they're, 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 they're hypocrites. And so maybe you got to the front door and you were seeking the Lord and, and, and somebody was a hypocrite in front of you and you could say, well, you know what? I'm not going to seek God anymore because that hypocrite will go on and stay lame in your spirit, in your mind. But there's some people that bump into a hypocrite at the front door and say, you know, I wasn't expecting that, but you know what? I'm seeking God. So they go around to the back door of the church. They're going to try to get in the back door of the church. And, and they're trying to get in the back door of the church. But, they, you know, some other business going on. And, you know, there's always a crowd. I don't want to be a crowd. I want to be a disciple. Anybody want to get out of the crowd and become a disciple? Come on, come on. <laughs> so they can't get through there. Ooh. And a lot of people say, well, you know what? You know, I, I'm, I, I'm just not going to go to church anymore. I just met a hypocrite at the back door. Brother Jones wouldn't let me in the, I'm a hypocrite at the front door. And Brother Jones wouldn't let me sit down at the back door. And, you know, I'm just, ooh, tired of the church. But then there's some people, they won't take no for an answer. Huh? And so, so they said, you know, I'm going to go in the window then. You, 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 you folks won't let me in. I'm going to find Jesus. And, and then religion gets in your way over there at the window. Somebody all acting religious and rules and crazy stuff. And, 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 and you know, a lot of people, they just turned and walked off. But then there's that person. Huh? That, that, that believes Matthew 6.33. They got tired of trying to do it themselves. They got tired of getting, they want to get things in order. And they say, you know what? <laughs> I can't get in the front door and I can't get in the back door. And religion's got the windows closed. But I'll, I'll be, excuse my language on Sunday morning. But I'll be doggone if I'm going home. I, I'm going to climb up on the roof of this thing. And if I've got to rip a hole through all this in my way, I'm not leaving till I get in touch with Jesus. I'm seeking Jesus. And that's kind of what a fast does. Come on. A fast says, you know what? I may have prayed uh, uh, yesterday and I didn't get through. And, and you know, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray again tomorrow because I'm, I'm going to get there. And then, you know, the old timers had this saying called praying through. You might have heard praying through. What is that? me you pray through what you pray through the door you pray through the window you pray through the roof but you don't stop until you get through <laughs> see and so you get there that's seeking everybody get seeking okay so i want to understand it's it, it's not casual you know cool uh laid back christianity you know i hear people say well you know if the lord wants to he already wants to it's right there He's not going to say it again. He already did it. Well, you know, if the Lord wants to save me, he'll find me. Come off that. He saved you. He sent his son 2,000 years ago, died on the cross, and you're acting like it's his turn. It's your turn. It's not his turn. It's your turn. Well, you know, if, if the Lord wants to wants me to be a witness, if the Lord wants me to, you know, talk to, to, to my coworkers about Jesus, well, you know, if he wants me to, he'll just send an angel in. He already said go. He already said tell. He already said be. He already said share. So let's quit. Let, you know, hey, hey, you know, why don't we turn the other way around and say, you know what? Unless God sends 14 angels to stop me, I'm going to go to work and tell somebody about Jesus today. You know, unless somebody gets in my way that I don't know about, I'm going to crawl through the roof, crawl through the hole, crawl through the floor. Listen, I'll go in the basement and come up the stairs, but I'm going to seek the Lord. Anybody with me?
Then let's go to Exodus. I want you to very quickly look with me at chapter 13. So we see seek. Let's talk about first for a moment. Seek. Seek. Give attention. Exodus 13. What, what, when we say first, what, 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 are, what are we looking at? What are we trying to understand here when we're looking at these first things? Yeah, the, the word, and you know what? Most of you have never heard a sermon using firstborn and first fruits unless it was about tithing. And I'm not going to talk about tithing today, so shocked you, didn't I? Because it's a principle. It's a principle. First, how do we understand first? Over 16 times in Scripture, God talks about firstborn, the firstborn. So look at Exodus chapter 13. Here's a principle uh, and verse 2. Exodus 13, 2. What do we read? Consecrate. That means give over completely. Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me. God said, it's mine. The firstborn is mine. Look at this, whether man or animal. All right, let's go down. Let's just, let's drop down to verse number 12, Exodus 13, 12. I want to look at two verses here. You are to give over to the Lord, the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. What in the world does all that mean? Well, we're not worshiping under Jewish law. We're in the new covenant. There's a principle there. There's, There's a principle. First things is not a theory. It's a reality. First things are very important to God. And first things are very dynamic in how you live your Christian life. So, so what do we see? There are two categories here. He says, the firstborn belongs to me, animal or man. And then he makes a division. He said, some of these firstborn animals, you give a sacrifice. The animal is the burnt offering. And some of them, you don't offer the animal. You offer something in its place. Why? Under Jewish worship and law, there were two categories of animals, clean and unclean. The clean were acceptable offerings unto God, and the unclean were not. So the firstborn of the clean, that was a sacrifice. You took it and sacrificed that animal, the firstborn of every one of their flocks and herds. But the firstborn of the unclean was not an acceptable offering, so a clean animal was sacrificed in its place. The clean is sacrificed. The unclean is redeemed by the other offering. Pastor, what does that have to do with North Alabama? 2019, what do you want me to do? This is it. When John the Baptist was there baptizing in the Jordan, and he looked and saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized, he stopped everything and said, everybody look. Behold, what did he call him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does that mean? Well, Romans says Jesus was the firstborn among all those who had come to the Father. So what was going on? What's happening? Remember first things, sacrifice and redemption. Are you ready? You and I are not clean. You and I, according to Scripture, have all sinned and missed the glory of God. And so I'm not an acceptable sacrifice. I can't die on the cross for myself. No man can die on the cross for another man and cause his sins to be taken away. So we're in the unclean category. We need somebody to redeem us. 
But Jesus came, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who was born of a virgin but never sinned, and lived a spotless life, and went to the cross in our place. And so what we see in Exodus was fulfilled in Jesus that all of us unclean have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless sacrifice put on the cross in our place. How many are thankful God does first things right? We're here today because of the law of first things. The word redeem literally means to go into the marketplace and buy it back. Wow. So here's the picture of that day. Here's a marketplace, and it's a slave market. And a slave, he or she, is standing on the podium, and they're bidding to buy this human being and enslave them. The most degrading thing that could ever be done to a human being is slavery. And so here's the picture. Here's a slave market. And this person is being treated like an object, like a piece of property. They don't even, to these people, have a soul or a life or a meaning. They're just chattel. There's something to be used. And somebody walks into the middle of this mockery of humanity. And someone's about to be sold as a slave. And a person walks in and says, I will pay the price to buy that person back. But instead of taking them home to be a slave, they purchase them in a marketplace. They ransom them in the marketplace. They redeem them in the marketplace. And then they say, go be free. You're canceled and you can walk out of this place a free man or free woman. Jesus freed us. Now, a lot of people don't understand who got paid when you and I were redeemed. Some people think, and I've heard it preached, he paid the devil, but that's not true. The devil never made a dime off of you and me. Come on. The devil never got one drop of blood for us. It wasn't the devil that he ransomed from. It was our sins before Almighty God. Someone had to pay the price. We had to be redeemed. God loved us and he didn't want to judge us, but without Jesus, we are slaves of sin. The good news is his sacrifice. He was so perfect, so spotless, so sinless, so mighty that when he died, one death paid the price for every human being who had ever come to the cross. Jesus is the first fruits of all the father has ever done. My gracious, when I think about the goodness of God, when I think about the power of first things, it's amazing. We, we could go to the, uh, to the book of Exodus and there's the whole nation of Israel enslaved for 400 years. But it's time, it's time to bring them out. They've been crying out to God. And God finds a, a, a man named Moses who blew it. God's going to give him a second chance. How many are thankful that God uses people with second chances? Come on. Oh, Moses blew it. He's supposed to be a deliverer. Instead, he became a murderer. (laughs) And he's running and hiding. And God finds him there and speaks in a burning bush. He said, Moses, you you ready to get back to business, partner? You wandered around here long enough and did this thing. He said, come on. I heard my people. I'm going to send you back. And so 400 years are slaves. So God sends nine wonders and plagues on that nation. Undeniable that God is there. But Pharaoh hardens his heart and hardens his heart and hardens his heart. Finally, when God had exhausted all these things. I have some people say, well, you know, it wasn't fair. Pharaoh had hard heart. He had 10 chances to change his mind. So on the 10th time, the firstborn of man and livestock in the whole nation of Egypt died on that night why didn't the firstborn of israel die because they were in egypt 
And the death angel came, but God had told them, this is what you do tonight before you go to sleep. You take a lamb who's spotless, a lamb without fault or defect, and you take his lifeblood. Watch, watch this. He said, you go to the door of your home, and you dip the hyssop, this branch, this shrub, the branch, in the blood. Watch what he makes. And he says, put it on this doorpost. And he dips it again. He swings it across and says, put it on that doorpost. Then he dips it again and goes and puts it on the top. And what did he make over the door? The blood of the lamb made a cross over the door of every house. And when the death angel came to bring destruction on that nation, the Bible said when destruction was about to come, he saw the blood of the lamb and he had to pass over that home. I can't touch that. Why? Because the law of first things says that when God is put first and honored by his word I have good news for you you're redeemed and the devil is rebuked and what he tries to do to you he can't get to you that word Passover literally means to jump over the devil tried to come to that house and just as he tried to oh he couldn't do it he had to step over I'm telling you redemption is in the first thing you do the first thing the first thing the first thing carries redemption the first thing carries the blessing you understand it's the blessing is what goes first. Whatever I do first redeems everything that follows. I told you, you did something today more powerful than you thought. You came to church on the first Sunday of the year. Oh, and I know some people say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I agree. You have to go to the cross to be a Christian. <laughs> oh, I don't have to do this. No, no, no. It's what we're talking about. But you honored God today. You instituted a principle in your life. You put God first on this first Sunday. Can I give you some good news? You just redeemed the rest of the year by what you did by honoring God in your life today. This is a prophetic act in your life. And sometimes we don't even know it. Just because we don't know it doesn't mean that God doesn't still do what he said. He blesses it. See, I learned that what I do first redeems and blesses everything that follows. So, so if, if I did say anything about tithe, Phyllis and I, I learned this in our life. Look, see, see, whatever I, whatever I do with my money first, that's, that's the tithe. Whether you like it or not, what do you mean? Well, I'm not going to pay the mortgage company before I give God the place. Because I'm not going to put my blessing on a mortgage company. Huh? I'm going to put the blessing on my family. Do you understand that? You see what I'm teaching? I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay Ford Motor Credit with my first. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to bless God. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hand my blessing off. <laughs> I'm not going to give my blessing away. I'm, I'm not going to redeem Ford. I'm going to redeem my family, my home, my house, my goods, those things under my responsibility. The first thing redeems the rest. The first thing blesses the rest. See, it, it, to put God first always requires faith. Because, see, they, they gave him the firstborn of each of their flock. So this, this, uh, this sheep, this you, this was her firstborn. And we don't know if she's going to have any more. See, the hope is that all these, these, uh, this livestock will reproduce and his wealth grows and he increases, right? That's the plan. But the first one is God. He didn't say, wait until she's had four or five and then give me one. Once you see it's going to be okay. Anybody with me? He didn't say, you know, wait until everything's fine. He, he said, bring me the first fruits. In fact, I don't have time to read it today. I'll come back next week. He said, bring the first of the first fruits of your crops. So watch. This is what the Israelites did. They're, they're every day going out there, looking at the field. You see anything? Not yet. The next day they go out. You see anything? No, no, not yet. One day they go out there. Oh, there it is. There it is. Now I got my eye on it. 
As soon as that thing comes up, I'm grabbing that and giving it to God. Well, see, some farmers might say, whoa, 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 don't get in a hurry. We might not get any more rain and the, and the field's going to die. The sun may come out and scorch it. Don't be grabbing the first. You don't know if you're going to have anything left. See, but here's what, the, here's what you got to remember. That if I give God the first of the first, then my harvest is already redeemed before I have anything else happen. I'm not worrying about sun or rain or moon or shine or... I didn't say moonshine. I said moonshine. Or any, some people make anyway. So, so all, all that's going. Why? I, I don't worry about the harvest because I gave God the first of the first. Watch, watch. Let me. I want to say this right. If we put second things in first place in our life, we lose the first thing and the second thing. Jesus said it like this: If a man tries to save his life, he'll what? Lose it. But if a man gives his life to me, he gains it. So what does it mean, Pastor? What do you mean if I put second things first? Well, if God is to be first, that's clear. If he's first in my life, and I, for some reason, decide I'm not going to do that, I know what his word is, I know what his will is, but I'm going to do something else, then I put that secondary thing before him. When I take something and put it in the place of God, I lose it and God. See, I, I, I don't, let me, I got to hurry. Let me, how would I say it? Uh, I know nobody here would ever do this, but let's say you've been praying, oh God, you're single. Give me, a, give me a godly spouse. I want a godly spouse. I want a godly husband. The men are praying. I want a godly wife. Uh, God, just, just help me. And you know, you started the new year off. Your hopes are high and you're praying, God, bring somebody in my life. Oh God, I want a godly person in my life. And you know, by third Sunday, Samson hadn't come and sat down beside you. You hadn't met Queen Esther yet. So you get to about the 1st of February and one of your friends say, look, I know you want to meet somebody. Yeah, Coach, you've been praying for godly, right? Godly. Put God first. Godly. Let God bring that person to you, right? Right. So, you know, Adam didn't go search out Eve. He went to sleep and woke up married. That makes some people not want to go to sleep. But anyway, he, uh, <laughs> me, honey, I'd go to sleep every day to get you. Okay. So, so, you know, anyway, sorry about that. So, so. God brought Eve to him. He didn't have to go on the search. So let's say you're praying, oh, godly spouse, godly spouse, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you get to the end of the month, they hadn't had one. So somebody says, you know, um, I know you're praying for me, somebody. And over here at, uh, you know, club, uh, whatever. I'm trying to think of one. I don't, I don't know any. Over here at the club, whatever. There's a lot of people at club, whatever. A lot of singles are mingled at the club. Really? Yeah. So you go in there, right. Yeah, you're right. Losers at the front door. Losers at the back door. Losers at the side door. Losers crawling out of the bathroom on all fours. They're all over the place. And, and you say, well, you know, um, I've been praying. And he just walked up. Maybe it's God. So what do you do? You get old, you know, Joe Blow there. And... uh I'll start dating. Oh, he's so nice. You know, about three weeks later, <laughs> he's gone. You lost him and the will of God in your life. See, when you put second things in first place, you, use first, you lose first and second when you do that deal. You put God first in your life, the second things will take care of themselves. See how that works? Okay, I want to close with this. I've got a lot more to tell you, but let's close with this. The first thing you do, that first step, I put God first. The power of first 
redeems and blesses. The power of what's first. Come on, uh, musicians, go ahead and come. Uh, watch this. And so what? watch this. Do you know what the hardest step for you to ever take? It's that first step. Are you with me? That first step. Genesis 12, God says, Abram, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your father's house. And everything God would do in that man's life was now waiting until he took a step towards the promised land. You know, your first step's always the hardest because all what you're leaving is right around you. Everybody with me? You understand? It's all right there. You can smell it, feel it, taste it, touch it. It's right there. But you take that first step. Now you and God are walking and saying, see, if I take the first step, the rest of the steps belong to God. That first step's hard. And then we go 10 years later. I mean, 10 chapters later, it's 25 years. Now he's Abraham and Isaac's been born and things are good. And the boy's growing up and God says, uh, Abraham, did I give you the boy? Yes, you did. Did I keep my word? Yes, you did. Well, I want the boy back. Go put him on the altar and sacrifice him. Oh, God. You know what the Bible says? Early the next day, he took that first step. That first step. You know that first step will bless you or curse you. You know, no, do, do you know that everybody that turned out to be an alcoholic started with the first drink? You know, every mess you ever got yourself in started with the first lie. You know, that relationship you never dreamed would turn into what it turned into started with the first conversation. The first response back. But I got some good news for you. (laughs) When you take that first step with God, blessing starts coming into your life. Redemption starts flowing in your life. It's not easy to take that step or everybody would take it. But I'm going to tell you, take that step today. Take that step today. The night I got saved, I took one of the hardest steps I'd ever taken in my life. I was a prodigal son away from God. And I'd gone to church on a Wednesday night. My mother and dad always wanted me to go. And I hadn't been to church on Wednesday night in months. I hadn't been to church. Man, I was running from God. And they had a revival going. It was powerful. And, and people were getting saved. And, and, and really just a sovereign, thank God, God was wrecking me. And I went to church on Wednesday night. And they gave the altar call. I was convicted of my sin. And I knew. But boy, you ever heard that white knuckle on the back of the pew? I nearly tore the back of that pew off. And you know what I did? I turned around and walked out of that church. My first step carried me away from God. By the time I got to my car, the conviction was gone. I'm so thankful, and I don't know why. To this day, I can't tell you. I came back on Thursday night and went through the same thing again. Oh, my heart's convicted. This testimony. But you know what I did? My first step took me away from the altar, and I walked out of that church. Came back on Friday night. Man, that was crazy for me. <laughs> Go to church on Friday night. Come on. I mean, I might have nothing to do on Wednesday, but I had stuff to do on Friday. Went back to church. And the evangelist did something I'd never seen in our little church growing up. He said, I'm not going to preach tonight. I thought, what? He said, God led me just to pray for people. So wouldn't you believe it? I think the whole church got in line. Went from the front all the way down to center aisle. You've been to that little church in just two sections, center aisle once, all the way to the back. I still can't tell you why, except the gracious goodness of God. After everyone lined up to get prayed for, I stepped out of my pew and I got in line 
the step that changed my life. And every step I took, the devil hounded me. George Sawyer, you crazy fool. What are you doing? Sit down. What are you doing? What are you going to do when you get up there? Sit down, boy. You got sit down. Man, I fought it every step. And I got to the front, and I'm the last one. I'm standing there in front of God and everybody. My dad's a deacon. He's standing right there, right there. And the evangelist looks at me. He said, son, what do you need tonight? Everybody else has been saying, you know, pray for my elbow, pray for my back, pray for my kids. Well, <laughs> no sense playing around. I said, sir, I'm here because I need to get saved. When I said that, I don't think anybody heard it but me. Have you ever heard somebody rip a sheet in two, that rip that noise, grab a sheet and rip that thing? When I said, I need to get saved, it was like hell let go of me. Something ripped in the spirit. But it started with that first step I took out of that pew. I've never gone back from that day. I've had some battles. I've fought some devils. I've been knocked down. I hadn't gotten knocked out. i got to be honest with you. Sometimes I've done the spiritual cha-cha. What does that mean? Three steps forward, two steps back. Three steps forward. But I kept walking. But it all started one step.